0: Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast My name is Nizar Hassan and I'm joined as usual by Benjamin Red And this week we have a very special guest with us Ayman Mahanna, the the Executive Director of the Samir Kassir Foundation Hello Ayman, welcome to the show
1: Hi Nizar, very happy to be here
0: Can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit what you do?
1: So I'm the director of the Samir Kassir Foundation. We're one of the major press freedom and freedom of expression organizations in the Middle East. But we also focus right now on the emergence of a new independent high quality media scene. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to support these new voices.
0: Great to have you Ayman. We're going to be talking about freedom of expression today, whether it's happening, whether it's, it's there in the laws and practice and what we can do about it to improve it. But before going to that, we have a bunch of news to go over.
2: Oh yeah, tons went on this week. Um, I, I I think we we learned something. Uh, it, it shouldn't be new, but it's sort of new. It's getting a lot of attention, and that is that apparently, Hadass, the the town of Hadass, is extraordinarily racist. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Hadass has had this ban on selling property to Muslims for, for since like two thousand ten or something like that. You can't, you're you're not supposed to sell or rent to Muslims. And this all came to a head this week uh, when some people started complaining that they weren't allowed to buy or rent in the area because of their religion, uh, which seems like a very ridiculous thing, right? Yeah, one was even uh, sort of like pressured uh, to, to get out of his apartment. To, they cut his water service. And and so all of this sort of started to escalate on the media scene. And uh, so the media goes to uh, the mayor of the town, George Aoun. And instead of, you know, denying it or trying to put a, you know, a happy face on it or anything, he, he just said he was, he was just very upfront to like, yes, this is, this is the case. Uh, and we're, we're like, basically, we're proud of it. It's been the case since tw- 2010. Like, this is the way things should be for coexistence purposes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he said that President Aoun, uh, Nabi Berri, and Hassan Nasrallah were all supportive of the policy. Um, the FPM also confirmed this, uh, Alain Aoun saying that it's an agreement between the FPM and Hezbollah uh, to protect the original residents uh, and their rights. Um, but, but there was a huge backlash to this, of course. And a lot of people pointed out that this is just r- ridiculously not legal at, at, at all. The, the constitution is very clear that if you're Lebanese, you're allowed to live anywhere in Lebanon. And a lot of people just uh, were were very, very unhappy about it but because also j- just the the sort of like very sectarian um, and, and sort of uh, racist nature of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pure segregation. And in the constitution, it's very clear. And also in just common sense values, very clear that segregation is a bad thing. And, and to link it to like a good thing, which is coexistence, a good thing in principle, which is, you know, sectarian or religious coexistence, it's just very outrageous. And and the, the, the fact that the mayor, it's very funny that the mayor threatened to resign in case his decision is uh, is overturned by the central government, because people were really happy to hear that. You know, he's like, I will resign if this happens. But yeah, great. You know, why not? I, I, I was surprised that this is leverage. You know, this is the thing that he would fight back with.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and it seems as well that the the authorities aren't having it. Uh, Interior Minister Rahel Hassan came out and said, this this is clearly unconstitutional. This is not the case. And uh, she ordered the uh, Mount Lebanon governor to look into the case as well. We also had another interesting thing happen regarding the perennially hot topic of civil marriage in Lebanon. A couple got married uh this past week at Sirsak Palace uh it was, it was it was it was a very nice wedding apparently there were a lot of uh sort of bigwigs there Ziad Baroud uh Tariq Mitri uh Hussein Al-Husseini as far as this goes there there are no like huge developments right uh, this is nothing nothing like hugely new the same old legal loop is being used in this case, uh, but it, it is a renewal of this. It, we, we haven't seen a case like this, um, I, I, I want to say, for uh, almost a year, uh, if not longer. And and now, of course, all eyes are going to be on Rael Hassan, the interior minister. What will she do as far as this goes? Because there's a whole lot of pushback from the religious establishment the, uh, back when uh, this came up a, a few months ago. The Grand Mufti of the Republic and the Vice President of the Higher Shiite Council both came out against it, saying this was against the constitution even. They, they said civil marriage is not constitutional in Lebanon, which is a very extreme position to take, and everybody sort of calmed down their rhetoric after that. But it, it puts Ra'ad al-Hassan, who is Sunni, who is a future movement appointee, one of Sa'ad Hariri's people, in, in in sort of a tight position, right? Yeah, because Bec-
0: Nuhad mashnu before her, the previous interior minister was very clear that he's against it. Into, although he was actually for civil marriage at a certain point. But as an interior minister, he was not uh, accepting to like process any uh, local civil marriage cases. So we'll see what Raya will do about it.
1: The first two pieces of news ended with, let's see what Raya al-Hassan will do. And this is actually un- unfortunate because it means that she is put under the spotlight. And in order to move forward... In a positive direction, she really needs political support. Does Saad Hariri want to use his political capital to support Ray hassan in taking the right decisions? Or in order to maintain unity of his government, he needs once again to back down and to yield to the pressure of Hezbollah or FPM or his other allies in government and abandon Ray hassan like he did with the first civil marriage controversy a few right. months ago, just because there are other priorities right
2: now. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Another interesting and, and a very high-profile thing happened last week, and we, we, didn't, we didn't cover it last week, but Ram Talbaida had a lot of structures removed, and this caused a really big reaction in a lot of quarters. Uh, apparently, the governor of Beirut, Ziad Shabib, ordered that a, a bunch of sort of like temporary-ish structures that b- have been there for a long time on Ram baida which is Beirut's only public beach, be removed, and so they went out there. Um, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before that, and like started taking all this stuff away, and 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 this really caused a, a big reaction because this is stuff that a lot of people use. I mean, there was a lot of junk there first off, right? But then there was also a lot of stuff that people actually use uh, that was removed as well, and a lot of activists started pointing out, well, why is the governor taking such a you know strict stance on this? Whereas just a little bit further down the beach, you've got the Eden Bay Hotel which is sort of notorious uh, for being right on the beach and potentially in breach of the law. And the governor seems to be, you know, not quite as concerned about that. He did send a letter to them on June 7th about some violations, but it seems like sort of window dressing that, that they're addressing. And he seems to be giving them more the benefit of the doubt than he is with these, you know, structures that are actually used by the public.
1: Another topic that could eventually end up on Royal Hassan's plate. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah.
2: Uh, very quickly, I'd like to mention the maritime border issue. So right now, we actually have two borders that we're talking about: the southern border with Israel. This past week, the Israeli energy minister Yuval Steinitz uh, said that he expected talks in the next month to to begin. Right now, basically, the U.S. is trying to push Lebanon and Israel to the negotiating table to like sit down and delineate the border, the maritime border. And, and uh, uh, Steinitz basically said, I expect that we will start sitting down You know, next month, sometime this summer. There's no word from Lebanon, though. There are still several sticking points that uh, have to be addressed. And, you know, the the information that's coming out, a lot of it is, you know, leaks. Uh, and, and we're not really sure what everything is. We, we do know that Lebanon wanted... Uh, to discuss both the maritime and the land borders together. That seems like that probably won't happen. They wanted the UN to have a role in mediation. We don't know whether that's going to happen or not, uh, but it's something that could take off re- very quickly if if there is a breakthrough. Otherwise, it, it'll just be on the back burner forever. But then this week, we also had a second border issue come up. Uh, Elias Musab, the defense minister, said that Damascus is actually ready to demarcate the maritime border in the north, which is very important uh, because Lebanon opened its uh, second oil and gas uh, exploration round uh, this past April. And in that round uh, of the offshore blocks that are included are blocks one and two, which are the northernmost blocks in Lebanon, the ones that actually border Syrian uh, waters, and so it seems as though there's there's a lot there, there's starting to be a big push for probably a much easier border negotiation uh, to happen. At very least getting to the table would be a lot uh, a, a lot simpler probably. And this is of course being pressed by uh, 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 economic commercial matters from, from both sides, from both the Lebanese side and the Syrian side, and also the Russian side, uh, weirdly. Uh, Elias Bosab said that like Russia might be able to, to sort of ease the process because they have companies that are interested in exploring in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, one of the companies, Novatech, is in the consortium that won in in the first uh, oil and gas round. And Bustani, the energy minister, said that uh, three Russian companies, uh, Novatech, Gazprom, and Lukoil, had expressed interest uh, in participating uh, in the second oil and gas uh, round of exploration. So yeah, it, it seems as far as this goes that there is this new push, and it seems as though there are a lot of factors that uh, could make the this, this border negotiation happen sooner rather than later. Uh, very quickly, uh, we have a legislative session scheduled for Wednesday. There are nine items on the agenda, reportedly, including the extension of the provisional 12th, which is sort of this extraordinary mechanism for funding the government when there is no budget. We've talked about this, I think, extensively on the show before, <laughs> so I won't go into all of the details. Uh, but yeah, so that that's going to be the big thing uh, for next week. And there should also be uh, an oversight hearing, by the way, at some point in the future, not next week, but at some point in the future about the illegal hiring scandal just this past friday judges blocked the salaries of another 42 state employees um and this comes on top of more than 500 salaries that were blocked in back in may so this is this is a story that uh, we're we're you know going to keep seeing popping up in the future uh, parliament also of course the the big story is the the, the finance and budget committee this uh, is continuing uh, this week They've been meeting basically every day, and they've gotten through many of the legal articles, and they moved on this week to budget lines, starting with the presidencies, the president, the, uh, the parliament, the uh, prime minister's office, and then they're going to go through all the ministries as well. And then once they're done with this, they'll come back to the other articles, um, including those affecting veterans, uh, which they, they skipped. And the veterans also uh, started—they launched a new round of protests this week. On Wednesday, they uh, blocked one of the finance ministry's uh, buildings— um, and they're they're warning, you know, we could escalate this uh, because, you know, they're saying, oh, we, we're not going to accept this reduction in pensions that we're going to get in the budget or reduction in end-of-service benefits. All of that is really bad for us, um, and, and and we're not going to stand for it. We're going to keep protesting, and we're, we'll potentially escalate, we'll potentially block the airport if it comes to that. So we'll see what happens with that, but the what we can see happening here with the uh, Finance and Budget Committee and, and, and talks on the budget is that they, they sort of skipped over this really, really big flashpoint. And these negotiations are continuing to happen, both I'm sure behind closed doors and, and on the street until, until we get to some sort of resolution. Also connected to the budget is the LU saga, which we talked about quite, quite extensively last week, the Lebanese University saga. This week we had a number of developments though.
0: Yeah so we said last week that the executive committee of the League of Teachers and the Lebanese University decided to cancel the strike or to stop the strike starting Thursday and they kept their decision but not everyone is teaching and students are not going to classes so and this meant that the strike kind of kind of continue de facto on Thursday and on Friday, with the student movement now being at the like center front of this battle and saying, we're not going to be passive in this battle. It's not like uh, the professors decide to, to end the strike. So, okay, we go back to class. We have a major, we have major demands, very important to us for the Lebanese U- university and for us, and we'll continue on in our action till we achieve them. And the main demand is that the budget cut planned and proposed for the Lebanese university of $27 million is reversed and along with other demands but this is the main one but what we should know about the teachers this week is that uh, they had supposed to have a meeting on on tuesday and they postponed it till saturday and we're recording this on friday so we don't know exactly what happened what will happen in the meeting uh, they might overturn the decision of ending the strike and going back to strike or bring it to the general assembly we also talked about this last week in which case there is a higher chance of a decision being made like a radically this radical decision being made in terms of continuing the strike until the demands are met, because in the General Assembly there's more mobilization power for the independent teachers.
2: Yeah, so we're we're recording this a little bit early this week on Friday, so we don't actually know what what's going to happen here. By by the time you're listening to this on Monday, th- this will be decided, right?
0: Yeah, unless it's a General Assembly vote, which will go on, which will won't happen until another maybe four or five days or whatever.
2: All right. Well, that's it for the news for this week. And, and now we get to turn to something that I, I think is really fascinating and, and not just because I I work in the field of journalism, but because it, it affects thanks to social media, it affects basically everybody. The, the idea of censorship, everybody, you know, you are the media if you have a Facebook account, if you have a Twitter account, if you have Instagram, you are the media and you potentially could uh, face consequences for Certain things that you say on there uh, in, in the Lebanese uh, justice system. So I'd, I'd, I'd like us, though, to, to to take a step back, though, first and just l- let's, let's talk about what the constitution and the law say. Like, in theory, is there freedom of expression in Lebanon?
1: Of course, it's important to look at the constitution. The constitution, first of all, recognizes in its preamble Lebanon's commitment to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, that includes Article 19, guaranteeing freedom of expression in the limits of the law of each country. And the constitution further says the same thing, guaranteeing freedom of expression within the limits of the law. Our legislation compared to most legislation in neighboring countries is quite liberal and open to free expression. That's why we have a relatively open and liberal press code that protects journalists in the course of their mission and their job from prison sentences. We also have a tradition of free expression free press that is even more important than what's in the texts at the same time we do have specific provisions related to libel defamation and slander that can be interpreted in very different ways depending on the whims of the judges but usually depending on the balance of power in the country so the situation today is very similar to the situation we had between 1990 and 2005 when the syrians were here occupying the country in terms of interpretation of these specific provisions whereas the articles that did not change mm. were exactly the same between 2005 and 2015 and did not lead to the number of legal actions that we witnessed in the last two years
0: we'll go into like the political analysis of the situation and of the recent kind of developments in a bit but uh, can you tell us a bit in the in the laws in the penal code in in whatever laws we have that Uh, are related to freedom of expression in terms of imposing limitations on them. Uh, What are the main things that we should uh, be aware of? Very vague terms.
1: National unity, national security, coexistence, inciting sectarian strife, contempt to the president, contempt to other countries, contempt to the flag. So these are very vague terms. Other or friendly and sisterly country and other heads of states. What is the definition of these terms? no judge today has given a very clear definition of the words it's very much used in a very arbitrary way in order to stifle free expression coming from people who are not in power during a certain period of time whereas if you look at sentences and attacks that Supporters of the main parties today represented in government and very often party leaders, very often they say things that are by far more violent than what is said on social media and no legal action is taken. Mm. If you look at most legal actions taken against activist journalists um, based on these provisions, you will notice that they are only targeting ...independent people who do not enjoy the sectarian and political protection of the big parties.
0: Mm. And I, and when I was reading through the, the penal code, trying to find these articles... Uh, ...I found that there is like a very um, strong determination to crack down on any insults towards the president specifically. And uh, in one of the articles, it says that if you commit defamation against a, a public official but then it is known that the accusation is true and it's not defamation. You are not punished unless it's the president, which to me sounded very strange. But it's, it's, there's, it's, that's really consistent in these various articles. The president has some, this kind of sacred position Absolutely. that should but not be But it's not criticized.
1: Lebanon only. Let's not forget that these articles were mainly written during the French mandate and later amended in the 1950s and 1960s and nothing really changed since many european countries still have until this moment provisions protecting the head of state but it's not about the text it's about political will if you read the constitution of denmark you would think that denmark is an absolute monarchy but Mm. it's the tradition the political and democratic tradition over the years that made judges lawmakers people in the executive have the powers they have today it's because of a social contract protecting democratic norms not a change in the legislation therefore when we look at the situation in lebanon of course we need to change the text and today there is bill being discussed at the justice and administration committee that roughly goes in a positive direction when it comes to reforming all those and all legislation pertaining to media in lebanon including some of these provisions But if you do not have the political will to enforce a liberal understanding, a liberal interpretation of these articles, whatever change in the legislation you have, you will not necessarily move forward in the right direction. Take, for example, censorship over theater plays. The law says that general security has an arbitrary right to accept and validate and grant permits to uh, have a theater play uh, displayed on screen, I mean, on stages without any definition of the criteria that would lead general security to approve or ban a certain play. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a question of political climate. If there is a political climate at the level of the leadership, but also at the level of popular support that is truly supportive of freedom of expression, and political parties commit to being open to criticism and not having thin skin... The judges and general security will not act in the way they are acting today. But because there is a climate of identity-based politics, fear-based politics, we see what we're seeing today. At the end, let's not be surprised. Mm. None of the political parties today represented in the government of Lebanon has displayed any level of internal democracy ever. So how can we expect people who are not democratic at home to be democratic once they are in power? I think we're delusional if we... Mm expect them to act in a different way in the absence of
2: a strong resistance i mean but that's sort of like a a general issue though that is in if you want to have power here in lebanon you sort of have to these are the rules of the game and you have to play it otherwise you will be marginalized and something that that strikes me is that politicians here in lebanon will uh file a defamation lawsuit at the drop of a hat basically not all of them not all of them right and also not a It depends on the political climate.
1: One of the very interesting reactions that followed the Michel Aoun-Samir Jaja agreement in early 2016 was for both parties to drop all the legal actions they have taken against journalists that are closer to the other side related to defamation, libel and slander. So we see how Mm -hmm. much it's linked to a political decision. And it's also linked to another element that is extremely important. We will not have any real protection of freedom of expression if we do not have true independent judiciary. The fact that judges in Lebanon are subjected to political pressure can lead to some bad decisions and bad legal actions. But in fact, even without any kind of pressure on a judge, because that judge knows that their Promotion that being nominated to better places to better positions is dependent on decisions by the Council of Ministers They know that they have to follow the balance of power They need to please whomever today is the most powerful actor in the Council of Ministers in order to have their own career Protected so without granting the judiciary the independence they deserve We will keep having very weird decisions Mm -hmm. when it comes to freedom of expression but many other aspects related to
2: corruption and other governance issues of course that that's what they that's what happens in reality but what we'll hear is that oh no the judge was just following the letter of the law but that goes back to what you were saying earlier about how it's not so much about the letter of the law it's about the interpretation of it
1: if judges were following the letter of the law only we wouldn't have had only three or four legal action taken against people who have attacked former president Michel Sleiman compared to around 30 and we're not even at the first half of uh, the end of the first half of Michel term.
0: and i think that's a very good point you made earlier about the judges calculating the decision based on you know political prospects because when i was working at the daily star a few years back and we were covering these uh, lawsuits first of all they were much less much fewer than today and then the same judges that are today kind of pushing in this direction of like against freedom of expression or carrying on with these decisions are the same ones who had to have, have who used to have a much better stance back then so it's really interesting how with the change in political dynamics after the election the coming and after-
1: sure but in the coming weeks you will probably tackle the issue of the nomination of the new constitutional council in Lebanon mm-hmm. and today the names of potential judges who will serve on that constitutional council are being leaked to the press If you look at the five Christian judges who will be nominated, who might be nominated, there won't be any single constitutional lawyer or constitutional judge. None of them are, I mean, at least the names that are today floated, none of them is a constitutional expert. They all come from criminal law, civil law and other forms of law but they are there because of their political affiliation and because of their political sponsors. So if this is happening at the level of the highest judiciary body in the country, the Constitutional Council, in charge of interpreting our legislation in terms of deciding whether laws that are voted in Parliament respect our constitution or not, if this is the level of politicization, what can you expect at much lower uh, judiciary levels tackling issues of uh, defamation online, on social media, etc.?
0: and i think to put it more like in, in a in, in very concrete terms what we're seeing today is the rise of the fpm as a political force and one that is pushing this to kind of the next level because everyone is noticing that the people who are mostly uh, prosecuting people for posting things online uh, is uh, the head of the fpm like gibran basil and and things related to the presidents or anything said about the president so it fe- it seems that when the fpm came to power it, uh, it did not change at all the, the kind of the old traditions of cracking down on freedom of expression, although its main message back in 2005 with Aoun's return to Lebanon was uh, Syrian occupation of Lebanon is against freedom and against our sovereignty and, you know, all of this independence and freedom kind of environment that or or message or rhetoric that is now just being completely sidelined and instead of reform and change now we're going to a strong lebanon kind of rhetoric and one that is about you know maintaining hegemony and the other like the other part of the sad story is that none of the political forces is interested in challenging this you know these are the political forces we're talking about who carried out the march 14 kind of Frontier or like revolution or whatever. The second prize,
1: ranking I mean. party when it comes to actions against journalists or activists because of social media posting is the future movement. So we see that the presidential deal of 2016 extends to many other fields.
2: The deal that uh, between Hurri and Aoun that brought Aoun into the presidency and Hurri back into the premier after many years of rivalry. Right, right, right.
0: So those who were standing against oppression in the past are now carrying it out today, and those who were f- for it who are less interested in democracy but also is on the same page about
1: the culture do we have a democratic culture in our parties in our schools, in our families or not? This is why one of the ma- major issues right now is the absence of a political party or a political force or a coalition that is truly committed to political values and that has the issue of public freedom, of human rights, personal liberty as one of their main platforms. Even the independent movements that ran uh, during the 2018 election focused more on issues of good governance, of corruption, etc., Which is important. I mean, we're all against corruption and we all want good governance. But there is a danger in such a message. And I'll give you an example that I heard directly from the Emirati Minister of State for Foreign Affairs, Anwar Gargash, during a major security forum in Bratislava last year, in 2018. He said that the UAE surveyed Arab youth across all 22 Arab League countries about the model that is most attractive. And Dubai won. Everybody wanted to move to Dubai or the majority. And the way he marketed his point towards a Western audience was that the Arab world tried democracy after the Arab Spring. And we see what kind of results we had. We tried autocracy and we saw what we had through military autocracy. We tried religious regimes and we saw what we had. The only model that we haven't tried except in the UAE is a model based on good governance, on rule of law, on equality before the law, on economic opportunities and prosperity, but not a major focus on political freedom and political liberty. This is not really a priority. Let people first enjoy prosperity, have money, have opportunities to have their family in a nice environment, way where they can do business in a clear way in a transparent way and we later talk about freedom when we only focus our independent anti-system talk only on the corruption aspect and good governance aspect some people might be actually smiling because we'd be echoing a message that is actually today growing in western audiences about our region that we don't deserve public freedom because we don't know how to use them
0: it's a really good point and and you know you reminded me of all these calls for like a military coup that we yeah. hear in lebanon all the time As if the situation... military
1: coup would lead to good governance and would lead to the end of corruption but exactly yeah.
0: d- democracy is no longer seen as like a political ideal because people are alienated from it because it's not being practiced and really it's not delivering. exactly democracy
2: only works when it's when it delivers and people do not feel that okay so if this is the case um and this is the general situation that we're facing in lebanon and the region and if things here in lebanon they're they're getting worse right then what is the strategy that would actually work to, to turn that ship around because I, I don't see anything obvious
1: yeah the, the strategy is by definition multi-layered first we need to change the pieces of legislation that we are suffering from and there is action in the parliament in this direction we're relatively optimistic that at least we'll have a better law in the next year or couple of years but this is definitely not enough there should be more action taken through contacting directly the prosecutor general in order to give some kind of guidance which he usually he is allowed to do in lebanon to other prosecutors at other levels to have a certain interpretation or the other of the law because there are cases in lebanon where for example women are not allowed to wear shorts and there are pieces of legislation that are so old exactly that are so old but that nobody respects because they are not adapted anymore to today's world mm. so there is nothing that prevents also the prosecutor general from giving a kind of guidance to the other prosecutor in order to interpret the laws in a more open way so there is action that is needed coming from ngos defending freedom of expression journalists and many other activists but also political parties to go in this direction the third element in our strategy is to talk to our international partners the same people funding today our organization other press freedom organization whether the eu the us the uk are also the partners of our judiciary and of our security forces when it comes to building their capacity so i'm not talking here about conditioned aid and conditionality and uh, withdrawing financial support but Definitely there is a need to be more forceful, more direct in pointing out to what does not work and making sure that you do not necessarily support the military tribunal with anti-terrorism technology while at the same time having that military tribunal try journalists and sentence them to prison. There is something that the international community needs to be doing now They are listening to our message, and I know that they are engaging with the political authorities on these elements. But this engagement also needs to translate in programmatic way. And we also have to reach out constantly to the UN special rapporteurs on freedom of expression, on uh, arbitrary detention, because Lebanon is extremely careful to stay slightly better than all other countries in the region. This is the strategy that our authorities are following. As long as we're slightly better than Syria, Turkey, Jordan, uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, then we're fine. High bars. Exactly, high bars. This is not an acceptable message. Hmm. And the fact that very often the international institutions only look in terms of rankings hides some of the problems we face in Lebanon. So international engagement is extremely important. And finally... The real strategy is to build a political translation within the political landscape through elections and through political engagement, building a political translation of the values we are supporting in civil society organizations. This is a long term uh, element. We're not talking here about civil society candidates running for office, but we're talking about political parties that, integrate the liberal progressive values we support in civil society and use them in a very clear way as an electoral platform in the next elections 2022
0: yeah i think it's it's a really good point and i think because i'm like involved in in these political movements i i, I feel that you know this is not being focused on enough and it should be i wanted to follow up on one thing you were talking about earlier which is the role of security agencies and one thing that is a bit confusing to me is Who the hell is responsible for carrying out these decisions of, you know, arresting, detaining someone for saying a bad thing about the president or Mm -hmm. whatever? Because sometimes we see the state security, sometimes we see the military intelligence of the north. Sometimes we we see a cybercrime bureau calling up people and saying, please come on Monday without giving any explanation. What's happening? Can you explain a bit how this happens?
1: I hope I can explain, but it's clearly a chaos. Because, first of all, detention, in most cases, unless we're talking about an exceptional arbitrary detention case, are always sanctioned by a judiciary decision to authorizing the security uh, security forces to arrest someone or detain someone for a while. Mm -hmm. Now, who does that? Which security agency specifically is very vague because the rule is it would be the ISF. And whenever something is related to online expression because the defamation might have happened online. Therefore, the Cybercrime Bureau would be the ISF body in charge of summoning. Mm -hmm. However, the government has granted Dabita Adliya role. I don't even know how to translate this. Basically, Judiciary Police role, not only to the ISF, but in exceptional cases to other security agencies, including general security, including state security, and in the hot zones and closer to the border, also to the military. So all of these agencies can theoretically say that they are legally playing the role of a judiciary police, i.e. enforcing decisions by uh, prosecutors and by the judiciary in general. So theoretically, all of these agencies are allowed to detain people if there is a legal decision to detain someone for questioning.
0: And the problem with that, first of all, is that uh, the security agencies often have political connections and are often connected to like... And they often
1: don't talk to one another and have clashing agendas and clashing interests. And the clearest example was the Ziad Aitani uh, debacle and the rivalry between the all different security forces. But there is also another element of legality here. When it comes to journalists specifically, the law protects journalists from being questioned by security agencies and by uh, law enforcement bodies. The only body that is allowed to question and interrogate a journalist related to their work as journalists are prosecutors and to the judiciary and never security agencies in theory in theory <laughs> and in practice up until very lately oh really very lately means the last two or three years and it started a few years ago when journalists were summoned to appear before the cybercrime bureau because of articles they published in their print newspaper yeah, my colleague Tamar
2: Assari at the Daily Star was summoned that was, to the Cyber Crimes that was Bureau. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That was
1: quite recent. Uh, but I'm talking about something that happened probably around 2011, 2012. And there was a legal decision saying that only the print tribunal or the print court can get involved in questioning journalists whenever they are um, in a legal dispute because of something they published. Now it's not being respected. And unfortunately, Many journalists are complying to summons by security agencies, even when it's something related to their work, because they feel that they would rather lose some protection, but not upset security agency, because we're feeling that security agencies in the last three or four years are taking an oversized political role and have a political agenda of their own, which is really dangerous in any kind of democracy. Democratic oversight over security forces, unfortunately, in Lebanon today has been canceled by the sectarian protection that the leader of each one of these security agency uh,
2: enjoys. Right. And and, and we've seen a, a, a very unfortunate trend where it seems as though certain security agencies become more or less aligned with certain parties writ large. You, you can see. State security, for instance, more and more today is seen as a security agency for the free patriotic movement. Uh, just as the ISF is Absolutely. seen as sort of a- aligned with the future movement, especially its information branch. Absolutely.
0: And what you mentioned about the rivalry between security agencies and the Ziad Itani case—it was fascinating when Peter Germanus, who was supposed to be the 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 prosecutor in the case, and ended up defending the the prosecuted it's it was really fascinating when he said it was a race between security agencies that led state security to go ahead and arrest ziad aitani and this is a clear example of how this kind of tension and this kind of race leads to wrong decisions you know it led to the uh, the detention and alleged torture of someone for for a certain period and of time and a few
1: months ago security agencies at the airport like fought you yeah. oh, right yeah. live on screen on tv <laughs> in front of people at the airport because of rivalry over turf and over power i mean this is a general problem in the country li- related again to the lack of political culture lack of democratic oversight but when it comes to freedom of expression independent people who do not enjoy the protection of the big parties are the first victims
2: yeah, it seems as though, like, if you boil everything down, it it really just comes back down to the political considerations. Whether you're talking about security forces or or the judiciary or something like that, everything has to do with fundamentally politics and the way that politics has infected all of these areas that should be immune from politics. Uh, in in the such a The judiciary, security agencies, exactly, 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 exactly. And so the the fight here really is, in a fundamental sense, a political one. More and more again, than anything else.
1: We can also close the loop by going back to Ray al-Hassan. Will she act in a way that is different from other previous ministers of the interior by giving clear instruction to security forces, at least that are within her ministry, in order to act in a more open way, more liberal way? Because we saw examples during the time when Ziyad Baroud was minister of the interior, when Tariq Mitri was minister of culture. This was the time when censorship over movies and theater plays was at its lowest level because they... At the end, the Minister of the Interior, for example, when it comes to movies, is the person who is allowed to ban a movie. So
2: their signature is
1: is the one. So what general security does very often is... to procrastinate and avoid sending the request to the minister if they want to ban it without going through a ministry decision. But then the minister can get involved and say, I need the file of that movie right now. And it's not, I know that the minister of the interior in Lebanon has so many other priorities than movies, but sending one or two signals of commitment and attachment to freedom of expression today, when someone is still quite high up in favorable polling and appreciation by the Lebanese people like Rael Hassan today, uh, in spite of her political affiliation. I mean, she's still someone that people look up to in a positive way. Today is the time when she still has the political capital to send positive signals similar to the ones she did when it comes to roadblocks. Now is the time. If she doesn't do it now, I think we'll be paying the price even, I mean, worst way in the coming years.
2: A lot of eyes, a lot of pressure on Rael Hassan. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ayman. It I uh, really, really appreciate having you. I
1: really hope that many other friends will come to this beautiful studio and take part in
2: this discussion. <laughs> studio is, is a beautiful. big word, but thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we will be off next week, but we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, until then, I'm Benjamin Redd. I'm Nizar Hassan.
1: Ayman Hwana says hi. <laughs> and this has
2: been the Lebanese Politics Podcast.
0: Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson and the music is by Omar Elfeel.